The Animation Podcast, December 2nd, 2007. Support for The Animation Podcast comes from AnimationMentor.com, the online animation school. Sign up for their free monthly newsletter containing student profiles, animation tips, and access to this year's upcoming Animation Mentor exclusive animation podcast at AnimationMentor.com. Hey everybody, this is Clay. Welcome to show number 22 of the Animation Podcast. This is the second half of my interview with Dale Bear. Dale has been in the animation industry for over 40 years, and some of the places he has worked include Disney, Filmation, Ralph Bakshi, and Richard Williams. Dale ran his own studio for over 10 years, Bear Animation, and he's been back animating at Disney since The Emperor's New Groove. I forgot to mention in the last show that Dale won the Annie Award in 2001 for his work on Yzma in The Emperor's New Groove. Uh, thanks to Larry Whitaker for commenting and reminding me of that. If you haven't heard part one of the interview, I suggest you start there. Part two picks up with Dale after he left Disney in the 70s and went to work for Ralph Bakshi. So working for him for a year and a half was was quite an experience. And I will never, I would not have given it, you know, changed that for, for the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, and there were times when he would, even after I left him, he would still call, you know, you know, just to talk because he was like a lonely guy. I don't know what, you know, he was, he'd make a lot of enemies in this town and he'd <laughs> gravitate to the ones that still would speak to him, you know, yeah, at yeah. times, you know, because he scared people. He really did. Was he uh, kind of bombastic and explosive? Because I've only really seen images of him. Yeah. And he, he just looks like just a powerful guy. Yeah. You know? No, he's got a temper that won't, I mean, grown men would leave his office in tears after he would lay into them. I mean, literally, because, they had the lion lamb machine right next to his office because he wanted to make sure nobody was wasting their time shooting on the thing that mm-hmm. they were working. And you would hear more people getting getting their ass chewed out in his office. And he, he would talk so loud and so fast and nonstop that he wouldn't give them a chance to explain anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And literally, they would come out with tears rolling down their cheek. You know, their faces would be red. They'd be shaken, you know. I mean, he had this way about him that was just unbelievable, you know. Did you ever have any problems with him? No. Well, only one. <laughs> <laughs> We'd been there. We'd worked on rings for almost a year and over a year with no no breaks, you know, working weekends and, you know, 12-hour days and whatever. And finally I went to him. I said, look, I got to get a vacation, you know. I got to, you know can I get away for like two weeks? And he said, yeah, go ahead. Sure. That'll be fine. You know, and he says, so I said, good. Cause I just booked a flight, you know, to such a place and, and, uh, shook my hand and said, have a good time. So uh, unbeknownst to me, when I was gone, I'd been fired and rehired at the same time. All my stuff was put in storage and they took my desk away and moved me into with two other guys, you know, with this rickety old desk. And, and when I showed up for work, after when I came back, I walk into my room and it's somebody, there's a background painter in there. And I'm thinking, okay, now where do I go? <laughs> and there was a gal that was in this room who just loved, loved uh, gossipy kind of things and, and turmoil and stuff like this. And she just popped up from her desk with a big smile on her face. And she's, I said, okay, Lillian, where's my desk? And she says, it's right in there, you know. So she points into the room and there it is, you know. I'm flagged by two other guys and this room is too small for three people mm-hmm. you know but we, we crammed us in there and this was my punishment for having left for two weeks you know because 
while I was gone, Ralph went off to Spain to shoot some live action for the battle sequences and came back and there was nobody to do. I was doing layout for him too. And mm-hmm. there was nobody to do the key layouts for this stuff. So it pissed him off. So he fired me. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then hired you? And realized that, well, I got to have somebody do these key layouts. So let's hire him back and we'll just, we'll just put him in here and, you know. And he chewed me out in his room, you know. I said, "Well, you told me I could go," and he says, "I know, I know, I know." But, you know, so all was sort of forgiven, and he put me back to work, you know. But he would do these, have these little blow-ups, you know, every now and then, and mm-hmm. he made it. He made it fun. He made it exciting. Yeah. You know. At least you probably felt like you were at a studio that was taking a chance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And plus, he had uh, high hopes for his own company, although. After every movie's over, which you find out later, he sells all the equipment, you know, breaks his lease on the building, whatever, moves back to Connecticut, paints for six months, and then comes back with another idea. Uh-huh. So everybody was out the door anyway at the end of the movie, you know, so it didn't matter. <laughs> so once again, you know, you're on the phone trying to find someplace else to, to work, you know. I didn't want to go back to Disney's because Bluth was still there and there. So I had met Richard Williams uh forget where but i had met him and i called him up and to see if if he could use any help and fortunately in, in he london could. no he was in hollywood he was on uh, on uh, hollywood boulevard okay in the old quartet building quartet is the one that used to do the old tony the tigers back in the 50s and and a lot of the old classic commercials and they were still there too they were in they were tucked on one half and he was on the other half so, fortunately, he was able to hire me. So I went there and started, you know, doing commercials, which I thought, oh, this is cool. I like these. They're like nice little short-term things. You mm-hmm. don't have to, you know, be drawing the same character for, you know, two years in a row. And uh, each one was a little bit different, you know. And Richard always had another different technique for each one, you know. Mm-hmm. So it kind of challenged you a little bit, you know, which you never, I never had before. And he's an inspiring guy as well. And he's a very inspiring guy. He's but he's insane too. He's like a combination of Milk Hall and Ralph Bakshi. You know, <laughs> he, he guy can go fly off the handle. You know, at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. And when he ran out of some stuff to do and wanted to keep me busy, he sent me next door to Quartet. So I got to meet those guys, Mike Law, and uh, got a I think it was a UNICEF commercial to do and. My first Tony the Tiger commercial to do, which I thought, well, I really like this stuff. This mm-hmm. is cool. I like this business. I like this commercial business. Yeah. This is neat. But then, you know, commercial work at that time, too, wasn't that, there wasn't that much out there, you know, to keep people busy that mm-hmm. that long. And when everybody sort of ran out of work, you know, uh, and I was getting kind of, kind of burned out with Richard because, I mean, he'd push you, you know. I mean, if he worked 72 hours, you worked 72 hours. It didn't matter. How many people worked with him? Maybe a handful, six, eight people, Uh you know. And uh, Was he a teacher? Yeah, he actually was. Yeah, actually he was, you know. And uh, you got to see him in action with the clients and stuff like that, which was kind of neat. So you got to see a little insight into into how that whole industry is done, you know. But... I had a house that I was renting out because I was living with my first wife in Laurel Canyon and I thought, this time maybe just to do something ourselves for a while, you know, I just wanted to do something for myself. So sold the house in Burbank and lived off that money for about a year 
probably just trying to do a trying to get something off the ground, which mm-hmm. never happened. But um, were you thinking of just your own studio? In a way, just trying to get a project to uh-huh. get sold and maybe get a studio uh-huh. going. But couldn't find the right people. Didn't know how to connect with the right people to get it sold. And kept getting introduced to different people that would, you know, take it so far and just drop it, you know. And uh, it was a whole other breed of people back then. It was the television people, mm-hmm. you know. And if it if it worked for, you know, it had to it had to be resemble something that was successful, you know. They couldn't take anything that was like brand new, you know. And uh, television animation was sort of still the playground of Hanna Barbera and and, and filmation. Mm-hmm. You know, they were the the guys that they would go to for that stuff. You know. And what were you thinking of? They didn't. Uh, we had a it was a it was a sort of a Thanksgiving kind of special. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to do like a half hour special. I didn't want to do a series. Yeah. I just wanted to try to do a special, and then we got introduced to some guy who lived in Santa Barbara, um, who supposedly knew all the network people, you know, and would show up in limousines everywhere he went. He wore an ascot. I mean, he was a typical. <laughs> but he wound up, he was the type of guy that would wind up dating rich women in Santa Barbara and taking their money and living off of it, you know, mm-hmm. and promising them the world and not giving them anything and move on to the next right. one. <laughs> so he never got us anywhere. A real producer. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but fortunately, I had a friend that um, worked at WDI that uh, uh, he'd been there for years, and they had a they were just getting some stuff going at Epcot and uh, some new stuff, and they had an idea for for a, a six minute piece that they wanted to do at the Living Seas Pavilion. And he said, but you gotta, you know, I gotta realize I'm bidding this out to th- two other people, you know. So, but since he was a friend, he sort of said, no, you know, I'm not gonna take the highest bid, and I'm not gonna take the lowest bid. I'm gonna take somewhere in the middle, you know. So he sort of was giving you some hints here and uh-huh. there, you know, to get you the job. But um, <laughs> finally, that happened. So in in a way, you know, the studio got sort of started with that project, yeah. which was exciting, you know. And did you work out of your house? Worked out of actually talked the union into letting us have this second floor for a while, mm-hmm. you know, rent free, you know, because it was our first project and yeah. we wanted to see if we can get it off the ground and we wanted to be able to make some money so that maybe we could get something going after that's over, you know. And uh, we sort of overstayed our, our welcome there after a while. <laughs> we did get through this project, you know, you know, but then they decided they wanted to turn it into a a computer training lab up there so mm-hmm. you know fortunately they waited till all this stuff was done well, but, uh, when you like for this first production did you have to how did you what equipment did you use did you rent stuff or did I you knew, borrow we or? wound up having got, got to know people around town that had cameras that had editing equipment I mean we you just when you when you get out into the into the real world you meet all these people they just sort of show up they're friends of so and so they're you know, related to so and so, you know, and uh, living in Hollywood was was made it practical, you know, because yeah. then you could find all these people, and uh, so that wasn't the problem. Plus, plus it gave me some, you know, good experience in just getting on the phone and schmoozing people, mm-hmm. you know, and and you know, 
seeing how much they would do things for and you know telling you know it's, you know our first project production you know can you know they had got a lot of favors done out there you know mm-hmm. and a lot of people from here you know about three or four people from here had seen the storyboards I did down in the basement at the animation building being photostatted and they wanted to work on it they wanted to do something you know different hmm. for a while so I got some good talent you know for almost for free yeah. you know well really quick you mentioned your drawings and people were impressed you said earlier that you didn't draw well how did you get better I don't know I don't think I have <laughs> I don't think I have. I just it's know, just repetition just and, and just learning. No, I just uh, I just I see everybody else's work and it just impresses me, you know. And, and uh, yeah, I, I'm a I'm a fan of like everybody's here, of everybody here because uh-huh. it's like I see things that they do. I mean, I learn something from everybody every time I walk into their room. I learn something, you know, you know yeah. especially on the computer stuff now, you know. But even back then, you know, it was like seeing how somebody drew something or you know shaped a mouth or or timed something you know you kind of like take that away and, you know basically yeah. steal the idea and yeah that's, that's <laughs> how i learned just, <laughs> you know pray that that you can you, know, you can uh, flatter them to you know and, and do them some justice you know mm-hmm. so, so you did the uh this first project yeah the first project which was for the living seas pavilion was an atlas of the living seas so I, I learned a lot with that because we had to learn you know different photographic techniques that i had never ever done before or even had to even concern myself with mm-hmm. you, know, you had to figure it out plus now you know you're having to deal with the upper echelon at wdi you know which i had never had to worry about before mm-hmm. you know it's it's almost different than dealing with a director, you know, it's because they're even higher up. You yeah. know, you're already dealing with the creative guys who are basically directing it and writing it and producing it. Now you're dealing with the the top guy, you know, to get it, you know, past him, yeah. you know, before he can get into the park. Fortunately, that made us, you know, enough money to keep messing with this other project we wanted to do for a while. So when that was over, we just kept on going with it, and that's when we got thrown out of the union because it was like, you know, oh, the building, you know, you know, you know <laughs> yeah. uh, earning any money, you know, and you can't pay us any rent, so we want to use this space. So you know, it's time mm-hmm. for you to leave. Uh-huh. We did it very coldly. They left a note on the upper step, you know, as we're going upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't even come and knock on the door. And uh, what, what year was this about? Oh, I think it was eighty. 8687. Oh, okay. And uh so we worked on that till we were running out of money and then I started making phone calls to see about picking up some storyboard work. I had done I'd done some board work for Hanna Barbera and I I kind of liked that phase of the business too, mm-hmm. you know. And uh so I was looking around for anything and was, the industry was so dry. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I never saw it this dry since Yeah, this was worse than before. It was almost worse than before. And so we're trying to figure out where the hell we're going to get some money now because we're, we can't even pay the bills. And all of a sudden the phone rings and it's Don Hahn uh, wanting to know if if wanted to work on Roger Rabbit because Richard had started it like two years earlier, something like that, and informed the studio that he wasn't going to be able to finish it on time. 
And, uh, you know, without even thinking, I said, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll work. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wasn't uh-huh. going to question it. Yeah. And uh, so uh, they arranged a meeting over in Amblin to meet everybody just to see the work we're, that we were capable of doing. Met Frank Marshall and Semeckis and a couple of their assistants and, and uh, got the job, fortunately. And so then Don brought us over to a warehouse on, on Airway to, uh, to show us where the, that unit was going to be mm-hmm. housed. And, you know, it, it scared me a lot, too, because he said I was going to have to work with 75 people. And I was used to working, like, just by myself. Yeah, I was going to say it was, your, was bare or, animation, basically you. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and or the handful of people, like a Mark Dindle or an Andreas Deja, that, that would come in and, and help with stuff, you know. But mm-hmm. you looked at them as friends, you know. Mm-hmm. You didn't think of them as employees, you know. And to think that there's going to be 75 people in this building that I've got to... And you were going to run it? I was going to run it. Mm-hmm. And that scared the, the bejeebers out of me. You know, I didn't know how I was going to do that, you know, because for one thing, I would not call any meetings where I had to gather everybody around and talk to them. <laughs> too, too many people. <laughs> I can't not do that. You know? Yeah. But that was, that was a neat experience too. I mean, I, I wouldn't have passed that one up for the world either, you know, and uh, you got a, you got a taste of working with Peter Schneider and uh, um, Jeffrey Katzenberg, mm-hmm. you know, and how they operated. And that was at the time that they were still trying to figure out animation too you know they had taken the studio over like two you know three four years earlier yeah and they're still trying to figure it out you know they're still trying to figure out how to talk to people and uh, both of them came out of the school of in order to get something done you have to yell at people you know and they still practice that but then i think they started when peter schneider wasn't around tom schumacher i mean uh, jeffrey katzenberg he was cool you know, you could, you could, uh, you could talk to him, mm-hmm. and he didn't act that way. You know, it's almost as if he had to, had to do it because that's the way Jeffrey Katzenberg expected him to act. You know, but when he was by himself, and he would come in for every Tuesday for our little production meeting to see where everything was at, you know, he was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, you just tell him, lay it all out on the line. He was fine, and he'd leave happy, and you go about your work. I, I found I really liked working with that many people. I really enjoyed it, you know. Well, so far you've liked everything in animation. <laughs> just, you, just sort of, you just sort of flit around, you know, you go to the assistants, you go to the animators, you go to ink and paint, you go mm-hmm. to checking. You know. And were you actually doing animation? Yeah, I was doing that too. Wow. I was, uh, it was what I could, you know, mm-hmm. which wasn't a lot, mm-hmm. but, you know. Was it a situation where, where you felt like you could... Um, train people at all or was it just like you got a crew and they were working no, we and you had, were supervising we a, the work no we just got a crew and did the best you can and did they know? and did disney create the crew they told us we could not use any disney people and so we wound up having to look at portfolios and, and reels from people mm-hmm. and wound up putting together pretty strong crew i think yeah. the only ones that came in there to work on it was um don paul in effects and I think he was like the only, only one from the Disney crew here. Everybody else was from the outside, you know. But everybody else had, you know, exceptional talent, and we wanted to pulling it off. And mm-hmm. a few well, of them was cut. it a specific sequence of the movie? 
It was the Toontown sequence and the introduction to Benny the Cab. Okay. But Randy Fulmer was with us. Before he was at Disney? To tell you the truth, I don't know if he was here or not. Mm-hmm. But he came in as mm-hmm. an effects man. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Don Paul. Uh, a lot of people from that movie got dispersed within in, in yeah. this department. Yeah. So a lot of them were, you know, still here, you know. Um, it was a, a wacky eight months. Really <laughs> and how was it, um, you know, you'd left Disney and you came back, or you didn't come back, but you were had your own animation studio, but you were working on Disney projects. Was was it kind of well, funny or? No, because that, I mean, it's like, I didn't want to break the ties. I didn't want to burn the bridge. And that's why when I left and I talked to Ed Hansen, you know, um, even during the time I was just freelancing outside, I freelanced on Black Cauldron over here. And uh, it was just weird because I would, I would come into the studio and I never saw so many sad people. It was not a good time, you know. Mm-hmm. You had, you had people in charge of that production that had no idea what they were doing, but got the title of director, you know, and got this big head on their shoulders, you know. I mean, yes, they've been in the business a long time. Yes, maybe they earned it, you know, supposedly, but they couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the picture was such a, 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 a bad movie, you yeah. know. But I enjoy working on what I was doing on it. I mean, I I got into a couple of the characters and just had a good time because I was doing it by myself at home. And I mean, I didn't care. I, didn't, yeah. I wasn't around the kind of atmosphere. But you know, I still it was still nice to to keep ties, you know, with the studio mm-hmm. you know, and not have not have the resentment of me deciding to leave and carry that with me, you know. Yeah. And uh, so. It was kind. Of, it was kind of. It felt good because I think I was the only person at the time that was able to even freelance on something, coming out of here. Mm-hmm. I don't think they ever did that. And it must have felt good too to know that you could run a studio and actually make a profit and, yeah. and make yeah. a living on your own. Yeah. With and this crazy art form. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And even when I did get my company off the ground with commercials after Roger Rabbit was done, it was started off with a Disney commercial. Mm-hmm. which was nice you know mm-hmm. so it and those those happen every now and then you know but i was always doing something f- for a disney product anyway i did i did some commercials for a guy out of new york for fanta which we used mickey mint uh donald goofy and pluto you know mm-hmm. did two commercials for that you know so it was uh, it was nice it was like it was like you left but you never really left mm-hmm. you know and just kept the tie there so that you know if things changed and maybe I could I could pull myself back in somehow sometime you know yeah. if things changed and sure enough things did change you know Don left taking 12 people with him whatever mm-hmm. started his company and around that time was when Eisner came in and took over this company but in a way he took a you know did something good for the company he got it back on its feet you know yeah. he, you know so you got to hand it to him for that I mean yeah. You know, the place was floundering. You know, if people were here during Cauldron, they'd see the, the difference after, from Cauldron to when Eisner came in. Mm-hmm. You know, his coming in was was good for this company. You know, as much as people maybe dislike him, I think he, I think he, you know, did a marvelous job. You know, he didn't pay attention to certain things like he should have. You know, but 
him and, and his people like Katzenberg and those guys, you know, got some of the best Disney pictures made at around that time. That's true. So they started making a lot of money for this company and started paying a lot of their employees very well. <laughs> you know. You know, and but it goes through those cycles, you know, you get you know, you start off with a great thing and you, you hit a peak and then it yeah. comes back yeah. down, you know, it does it. it's done that since I started yeah. here. And I had friends that have been in this business since the 40s and 50s, and they said the same thing, you know. It just goes through these phases, mm -hmm. you know. It's up and down all the time, mm -hmm. you know. So when when things get down and people get scared and they get nervous and they're running around like saying, what's happening, like the world's coming to an end, it's just it's just part of that, that weirdness of this business. You yeah. Know? But it'll come back around, and like it's coming back around now. I, mean, I guess you're fortunate just to have your business in the freelance and and uh, income during those times. Yeah. But, you know, like when Roger Rabbit came out, that was another renaissance time. Mm -hmm. Animation just flourished. Commercials, everybody wanted their commercials to look like Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Whether it was just straight 2D or combination stuff, you know, they wanted it to look like Roger Rabbit. And the agencies didn't want to spend the money to send them to, to London or to send them to wherever to have it done. They told them to do it local. So who's local but me? And who worked on it? Yeah. <laughs> so that was a that was a fortunate break, you know. And then you wind up meeting people in this industry that just help you every step of the way, you know. I mean, there's a wealth of good people out there that can get you, you know, anything you want, you know, for almost any price you want, mm -hmm. you know, production work wise. And uh, it's just it's just very exciting out there, and it's very exciting right now. And I think things people are going to see a nice positive change for a while. Yeah, it may last. Who knows? You Hopefully, know, a long may go time. through the same thing again. But you know, something, something good's going to come out of it. Well, I noticed also on your um, resume online on your on Internet Movie Database that you had credits for uh, Charlie Brown animation. Oh yeah, and that, that was, was was that during your freelance. That was years? during my freelance time. I mean, I was everywhere. I met uh, Phil Roman at mm -hmm. Bakshi because he was an animator there. Okay, and then he went back over to Bill Melendez. And started directing on Charlie Brown. Yeah, he did like ten of them. Yeah, of them. and uh, so I went over and saw about getting some work doing that. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't do too well on that. I cannot think that limited. I, don't I was going to ask you about that. It's, 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 it's just different animation that, style. I know it's just something weird. I mean, they paid you by the foot too, and you'd get a, like a forty foot scene, and you get a three feet worth of credit for animation which they figured you could do three feet of animation in this 40 foot scene somehow you know by mm -hmm. repeats and cycles and stuff like this and and uh, I could not do that you know I really couldn't yeah. so I'm getting three feet worth of pay for animating almost say 40 feet mm -hmm. so I was making like $300 a week you know mm -hmm. and I couldn't, mm -hmm. I couldn't yeah it. it's, it's hard I mean sometimes it's, it's just easier to do full animation yeah yeah, and, and it takes more organization to do limited animations. You have to remember all your numbers and your, exactly. your sections of animation, and this yeah. goes with this. And, and so I, I didn't last too long doing that. And uh, but I think the one thing I did enjoy that I liked a lot, but I think I put more into that too, was doing storyboards for Hanna Barbera, because um, I had a friend who was a director over there, mm -hmm. and I got I talked to him about getting some advice on putting the boards, you know. And he would show me boards that these guys were, some of these guys were out there doing. They were working, doing two shows a week for, for two different studios. They had a shorthand with storyboards that I could not grasp. Mm -hmm. 
I had to sit there and draw each panel and, you know, make it look good, you know, because you figure, you know, they blow it up pretty much for layout anyway. Yeah. So you wanted to make it look good, you know. Plus you were having fun with it. Plus you get a script and you start thinking of gags and you put in gags and this and that and you wind up with a storyboard that, you know, weighs 10 pounds, you know, and, and you know, I would take it to to my friend and he'd like weigh it in his hand and says, you know, this could have been like half of this much, you know. Just by the weight. But, you know, but I busted my butt doing those things, but I enjoyed it, you know. And mm-hmm. The thing about storyboards, you can do them anywhere you want. Uh, in fact, we had one show we had thought we were going to get done and we had booked a vacation to canada to visit in-laws and uh, i had gotten most of the board done like two-thirds of it done and dropped it off and said i promise you'll have the other in you know a day mm-hmm. you know i had already roughed out i just had to clean it up and finish up a couple things wound up getting uh there was like a three or four hour layover in Detroit or something like some one of those states and but there also was a mail strike in Canada so I could not mail anything out of Canada I had to mail it from Detroit in the airport so I got into a bar and sat down ordered some wine and just started drawing like crazy because I knew I had at least three hours Mm -hmm. you know and some of these kids would come by and they'd be like on the table like this, you know, watching what you're doing and everything like that. And I just like, just, I just, I got the whole thing done. I had these guys sweating bullets in, at H&B, you know, but I got it in the mail just as they called the flight number, you know, I popped it in the <laughs> and went back, you know, went to Canada and, and crashed, you know. That's funny. But uh, I enjoyed that though. That was a good. That was a good gig to have. Was doing that. You know, I mean, it's, that's the one thing about freelancing out there. If you just try to do everything you that's that's offered to you, mm-hmm. whether you do it well or not, at least give it a try. You yeah. know, you wind up being you know somebody that somebody can call when they need something at the drop of a hat. You know. They don't have to worry about that. No, you're just an animator. No, you're just an assistant. No, you're just this, just that. You know, right. if you can do a couple of different things, and then sort of the the doors are open to you out there. You know, which mm-hmm. makes it more exciting, makes it more interesting for for you as an individual to to go out there and just do whatever. You yeah, know? I mean, definitely. Like, I've only worked here. Yeah, and it's definitely compartmentalized. I mean, you don't do. <laughs> yeah anything exactly. other than your job description exactly that's why i just thought you know when there was some downtime here you know and people were had this was when we were doing 2d stuff there's a lot of people that had bad attitudes about stuff about the whole thing the whole studio the picture they weren't happy you know you you avoided getting caught in the hall with them to talk because you were going to have to listen to their their gripes you know mm-hmm. about everything they couldn't look at anything positive about this place and uh, i always thought well you know it'd be so good if the, if the industry was busy enough outside like it was in the 80s uh you could farm them out you know rather than them sitting in their room complaining all day with mm-hmm. nothing to do farm them out to this commercial house over here or there or, you know or saturday morning house you know, especially since a lot of them never had that kind of experience. Yeah. That would be good. At least they'd see what it's like on the other side, you <laughs> yeah. know, of the tracks, you know. And and maybe they'd come back here with a different attitude toward things, mm-hmm. you know. 
because a lot of people just leave, you know, they'll go to Universal, they'll go someplace else because they think it's going to be better, you know. It's not going to be better. It's going to be the same, if not worse, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just the industry, you know. And uh, you just sort of have to make make the best of you know, what you got right here, you know. But I always thought that would be a good idea. They could just farm things. Like they used to do actors in yeah. movies back in the 30s and 40s, and, you know, they'd loan them out, mm-hmm. you know. You know? And uh, that's how Clark Gable got the best role of his life. It was on Gone with the Wind because he was farmed out because he was... They were punishing being, him, right? He was being punished <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at Warner Brothers, and so they sent him to uh, MGM, you know, wherever it was, 20th mm-hmm. or whatever. But it was like the best move that he made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, so. with your your own company, what, what was kind of the best thing about it? Or maybe the best and the worst things about having your own business? Worst things were... Uh, I'll say the worst things first, because mm-hmm. it's just dealing with some of the producers agency producers because they weren't respectable of what you did the work that it took to get the product done for them mm-hmm. you know and it was also at a time when when uh, you know after roger rabbit was done, it was all done optically then every video house said they could do the same thing you know without working the bugs out of their system and stuff like that Mm -hmm. you know so they would take film and transfer it and put it together digitally you know which was a whole other ball game and uh, but they all wanted to jump on the bandwagon too you know because they could do it but Mm -hmm. there were certain steps that they should take to in order to do it properly which they didn't do because they didn't know i didn't know until you know a couple of years down the line and you learn from other people that you meet that well let's Let's do this because, you know, uh, an optical, I mean, a transfer machine will transfer a piece of film one way at 8 o'clock in the morning and a whole other way at 5 o'clock in the evening. You know, mm-hmm. temperature changes, everything like this. You know, So the agency producers couldn't understand that either. They didn't want to learn it. They just wanted to have a good product so they could go back to Chicago or New York and become the, the fair-haired boy or girl in, in their agency, you know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the commercial house that, you know, got any kind of credit whatsoever. It was the producer. Made them look good in their own their own backyard. That was the only hard thing about it because you had to deal with their pompousness and, you know, nastiness, you know, constantly, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, the other thing was just trying to do something where you were hoping to get 12 weeks to do, but you, they gave you six for the same amount of money, mm-hmm. you know. So you learn how to work real fast. But what I liked about it was just having a, a small crew under one roof, having that control on a project. Once you got the boards okayed and the layouts okayed and you were left alone for, you know, a good four or five weeks, mm-hmm. you know, and you could just have that nice little comfort zone in there where you got your people, you know what they can do. I had all the cameras in my place. I had all the video machines in my place. I had, you know, all the artists in my place, you know. There was just something that was kind of cozy about it, yeah. you know. Because I wanted to make it feel cozy. Because I, I had visited Jay Ward back in 65 or 66. And in that little house they had on Sunset Boulevard. It's still there. It's still there. It's an animal uh, beauty parlor now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> But it's still there. And I went there, and it was a rainy day. 
a dark and gloomy rainy day and I went inside and you had the smell of coffee brewing in this place you had little desk lamps on the tables on the desks you know no luxo lamps they're nice little desk lamps the place had this hominess about it and the couple people that were there were the friendliest people I'd ever met and I'm thinking wow this is great you know and they took me down into the basement and I'm right we'll use some cells and took some cells home and but that's the kind of atmosphere I wanted to have, which is a nice, cozy uh, atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Nothing uh, corporate, nothing, anything like that, you know. You know, which in a way is a mistake, you know. You've got to segregate the people that run the place from the people that work in the place a little bit. You can't have this uh, uh, constant availability all the time because that can drain you mm-hmm. and that can cause problems with other people because they're like when you have a studio i had like 30 people and it's like really that's a big city. it's like having 30 kids <laughs> and you have one come into your room wanting something and that person goes back and they'll say something and then the other, another person will come in they'll want something too or they'll want the same thing and then mm-hmm. they'll go back and they'll tell somebody you know pretty soon you're just you're bombarded by everybody and there's there's temper tantrums going on in one place or another but there's still there was still just a niceness about just having that closeness with everybody and mm-hmm. getting through a project together, you know, even if you work till four in the morning on it, you know, and making sure you're feeding the camera, you know, and getting to the lab. But then once you got to the lab and you got to the Kamaza house, you're by yourself, you know, you're alone. <laughs> you, don't have your, you don't have any protection, you know. You don't have anybody to, to back you up on anything. You're sitting sort of there with these producers and the compositor, you know, going, you know, taking their, their garbage. But got through it, you know. And once you got it done and it looked good, you're proud of it, you know. Mm-hmm. My saving grace on a lot of that stuff was discovering digital ink and paint. As much as I loved having some gals and guys upstairs painting cells, you know, mm-hmm. it... It took more time. You had to make sure you booked enough time for that. And when I discovered digital ink and paint, it was like my saving grace on some of this stuff because I had more time for the animation. I had more time for this and that. The agency only had one day to come in, look at keyframes, make their decisions and their corrections, and they had to leave. You know, whereas when you show you know something that's up there on the screen, one frame at a time being transferred. All of a sudden, they start picking on this color, and they start picking on that color. They start picking on that drawing, or this and that, you know. And it's, mm-hmm. it becomes a, like a nightmare, you know. But so you're uh, saying the fact that you could just on the fly just change the color. Yeah, they'd ask for this, and you yeah. just give it to them right they away. They could change the color of the line on mm-hmm. a pair of pants. They could change on a shirt. They could change the hue of a color, you know. But once they locked off on all that stuff, they had to sign a release thing, and mm-hmm. so they were gone. Yeah. So once they saw it and complete. They couldn't say anything, so that was the nicest thing. Mm-hmm. When you're compositing it at one frame at a time, and that frames up there for 15 minutes at a time, you know, while they're layering the shadows and the highlights and the tones and stuff like that. There's so much time for that person to start studying that thing, wondering why did you do that, or you know, why did you pick that color? Because you can't change the color that. I mean, you could tweak it, but yeah. you can't totally change it. Yeah. You know. And if there's an element that's missing or an element that didn't get completed properly or something like that, there's time, you know. Whereas in digital, you don't have to worry about felting and tones and the highlights. You can just send them the drawings and they black them in and mm-hmm. 
in digital paint and and it's done and you go, you know, yeah, it's like smooth sailing. You sit there and fix little things as they go. You know, mm-hmm. they say you can close these lines up because we can't get the color to stay. And they just sit there and close them up and they feed them back in. Mm-hmm. And it was nice because you got a rapport with these people because you were bringing them a lot of work and it was a small little house and. It's just like your little house, you know, it was tiny, you know, and yeah. they, they all worked together. You got knew each other and they looked forward to you coming to bring them work because they needed the work. <laughs> just like I looked forward to the agency coming to me. So, I mean, it, it I don't know, it, it had, it had great moments for a good 10 years, you know, mm-hmm. but you get to a point, you get, you get kind of burned out with that, especially when I started having to let people go because the work wasn't there. And then you had to, there was one time I had to deal with, with some talent agent in New York that wanted to rep the company and we didn't need a rep because we had so much work. We didn't, we were turning down work. Mm -hmm. Well, this rep decided to go off and spread rumors about being difficult to work with and stuff like that. So we wound up with no work for a year until somebody came along and said, you know, I really like the kind of work you guys do and we're going to give you a chance and you kind of feel, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You feel like you're groveling, you know. So you finally get back on your feet during that and you're thinking, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? You know, why can't I get just get like a real job, you know. (laughs) And, uh, but then commercial work just started to sort of fade away. Mm -hmm. There wasn't that much call for it anymore a lot of it was going to computer they would go to the midwest because they could get it done so much cheaper in the midwest you know so uh so we were starting to lose clients i mean you could pretty much by clockwork for the first eight years or so know when somebody's going to call you Mm -hmm. like leo burnett would come at a certain certain couple months a year with either Jolly Green Giant or Rice Krispies or Tony the Tiger. You could almost, you know, know when they're going to come knocking on your door. Yeah. And when they're not there, Mexico would call for a Choco Milk commercial and or somebody from New York would call for something. You know, you always had something to do. Then all of a sudden it just started fading away. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like somebody else is getting all the work. Every small house in town was going through the same thing Mm -hmm. you know and finally i just wound up with nobody in the building didn't need this big building you know uh everything was going digital didn't need film anymore didn't need the cameras anymore you know which was sad to see all of that to see that stuff just die yeah you know almost a quick death because it was like it felt like it was like overnight the stuff was happening you know So finally, you know, you just say, well, okay, we'll just shut all that down and just pick up some freelance commercials and just do it myself. And found back to square one, back to square one, found assistants up in Canada, little place up in Canada Mm -hmm. that would do assistant work for you. And you FedEx it up there. You'd have it back the next day, you know? Hmm. And, uh, so it was just easier that way, Mm -hmm. you know, but even that was starting to get hard to, to find work and, Finally, Randy called me <laughs> for Emperor's New Groove. For Emperor's New Groove, and man, I jumped at that so fast. I was like, yeah, well, I, I'm glad you did. I mean, yeah, well, it, it's it's. I, I've been very lucky in this business. You know, it's like when things start looking the darkest, something else happens. You know, mm-hmm. right around the corner. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not like I've had to wait very long. 
you know, fortunately, you know, it's not like I had to suffer very long. It's not like I had to lose a house or something like that or yeah. a car. Yeah. I hope that just keeps on going. I hope my luck holds out. You I'm know? sure it will. I mean, I, I think I'm sure a big part of it is just you're such a nice guy. And, well, I, and you know, I mean, you're not the guy that no one wants to hire. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, uh, I've had a great time in this business. That concludes my interview with Dale Bear. I'd like to thank Dale for taking the time to share his experiences with us. If you'd like to comment on this show or any other show, you can always go to my website at animationpodcast.com where you'll find a few ways to give feedback. Of course, your comments are always welcome on the post for any of the shows. You can also find a link to email me at the site. The email, by the way, is animationpodcast at gmail.com. And I'm testing a couple new ways for you to leave voicemails, so go to the site and click the voicemail tab to check that out. And it's going to be a quick wrap-up for this show, so I'll say thanks for your comments and voicemails. And until next time, thanks for tuning in. Support for the Animation Podcast comes from AnimationMentor.com, the online animation school. Sign up for their free monthly newsletter containing student profiles, animation tips, and access to this year's upcoming Animation Mentor-exclusive animation podcast at AnimationMentor.com.